0: Our lesson this morning comes from the fifth chapter of Luke's Gospel, the first 11 verses of that chapter. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done this. They caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled to their partners in order for their boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. So I was in my office in the uh, bucolic setting of First Methodist Church in Arcadia, Louisiana, and an Episcopal letter arrived in that official Episcopal envelope the bishop sent. Dear Doug, you are invited, in parentheses, required to attend a workshop at First Methodist Church in Baton Rouge on these days. It gave a Friday and half a day Saturday. And it laid out what we were going to do in the workshop. And and the letter said, I invite you to participate in this glorious, wonderful learning opportunity. In parentheses, it's required. I'll see you then. Well, when the bishop sends you a letter, and back in the day, y'all, we didn't have email... You got the official Episcopal typed by the secretary envelope. It was a fearful thing. You didn't tell the bishop no. So I got the envelope open. I put the dates on my calendar, called my best friend. I said, are you going? He said, I don't think we have a choice. So we went to Baton Rouge, trudged down to First Methodist Church in Baton Rouge and went into the the gymnasium, and there at the circular tables, we all sat by our notebooks with the initials TQM, Total Quality Management. We spent a day and a half talking about inputs into the system, talking about three throughputs in the system, talking about what product the system creates. Not a single word about Jesus Christ. We TQM'd it. And that that was the beginning of the management captivity of the United Methodist Church. And ever since then, they've been hauling us clergy off to management workshops. We have Myers-Briggs it. We have... Workplace big fived it. We have emotional maturity and intellectual and emotional knowledge. We've done all this stuff, management stuff. And what has the membership of the United Methodist Church done while the clergy has learned about management and leadership? <laughs> you may quote me on that. Because Jesus never called us to be managers. Jesus never called us to be leaders. And my unpopular thesis among the intelligentsia and the hierarchy of the United Methodist Church is, you're missing the boat, Bubba. So in 2010, the Methodist Church comes along and they hire a management firm. And the management firm is going to study effectiveness among Methodist clergy. And they come out with 15 benchmarks for Methodists, for measuring effectiveness among Methodist clergy. And not one of them has anything to do with leading people to faith in Jesus Christ. You can be an effective Methodist preacher and never tell anybody about Jesus. You can be an effective Methodist preacher and your church never tells anybody about Jesus Because we are measuring management and leadership matters, which are foreign to our nature. Absolutely so. Edwin Freeman, who is the grandfather of systems theory, has a book entitled The Failure of Nerve, And in Friedman's book, A Failure of Nerve, he talks about the failure of leadership in America, the failure of leadership in the body politic, failure of leadership in the business world, and failure failure of leadership in the church-slash-therapeutic world. And Friedman says what's going on is we have a failure of imagination, and we have a failure of being willing to see our dreams come true. That were chicken. And he talks about the Nuremberg Chronicles, which are a set of chronicles printed in Germany in the late part of the 15th century. And the Nuremberg Chronicle for the year 1492 was left blank. And in the Nuremberg Chronicle from the year 1492, it says, everything that can be done has been done. Every dream that can be dreamed has been dreamed and been brought to pass. There's nothing left to do, so there's nothing left to record. Here's the here's the Nuremberg Chronicle. You fill in what's going on in your life. We're done. 1492. Anybody recognize the date? World exploration is about to explode. The technology of the printing press is about to take root and launch the Renaissance and launch the Reformation and launch and launch us becoming interested in science and imagination and studying our universe. But Nuremberg Chronicle says nothing's going on. Failure of imagination and failure of nerve. Friedman in his book also lists, as sort of an aside, he talks about the Civil War in the United States and he says that what led to the Civil War. Indirectly, was the dysfunction of the five presidents before Abraham Lincoln Polk, Taylor, Fillmore, Pierce, and Buchanan. He says of the five, they were all lousy presidents, and to a person, basically lousy people. Dysfunction of leadership. So, what about Jesus? We're church people. We should be following Jesus. Can we echo Christ's leadership style? Can we do some of the things that Jesus did as a leader? Can we replicate it? Jesus, first of all, was a servant. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And he told his people, you don't need to be served. You need to be out there and serve others. Jesus talked about his love for God, his unconditional love for the Father and God's love for him. And they were so wrapped up in their love for each other that J.D. Waltz says maybe that's where the church needs to be. We need to get captivated by Jesus' love for God and God's love for Jesus and study that relationship and, and dwell with that relationship. Jesus was obedient to what God told him to do. Jesus trusted the Father completely. And he led others out of that modality. But in your essential Jesus reading, this particular lesson is called The Leadership Style of Jesus. And I want to look at briefly what we can learn from this passage in Luke 5 about the leadership style of Jesus and how we can bring that into our lives. First of all, Jesus moved from the synagogue to to the lakeside. Luke tells us he started his ministry in the synagogue and by the time the 5th chapter arises he's moved to the lakeshore. He's he's gotten out of church. He's left. He's gone where the people are. That's a key for how Jesus leads, and that's a key for how we change the world. You know, we come to church to have our spiritual batteries recharged. We come to our church to honor and glorify God. We come to church to deepen our relationship with Jesus Christ. But the work of the church is done outside the walls of the church. The work of the church is done out there. The work of the Holy Spirit's done in here. The work of the church is done out there. Now, there's a converse to what Jesus was doing. Jesus was involving himself in the economic and personal lives of those first apostles. He was not going to be content and is not content to be Sunday Jesus. And that's where we want to have Jesus. We want Sunday Jesus, and we want Jesus to leave us alone Monday through Saturday. We want to do our own thing, set our own agenda, have our own way, do what we want to do. Jesus will give you Sunday morning, maybe. But don't bother us the rest of the week. It's called Gnosticism, actually, functional Gnosticism. And Christ said, that's not the way we're going to operate this thing, that's not what we're going to do. So as Jesus moves from the synagogue to the lake shore, he also moves from, from as it were, the pulpit into the hearts into the economy, into the wallets, into the hopes and dreams of His people. Do you have Him in a box in your closet? You go get Him for Sunday. When something lousy is going on in your life, you go get Him. But you don't allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. You don't let Him inform And encourage every decision and every action you take. Jesus makes it clear from the start of Luke's gospel, He is going to be involved in everybody's life and He's going to be involved in everybody's life at a mundane daily level. Second thing, Jesus calls us to go deeper. Jesus calls us to go deeper. (laughs) Simon Peter didn't like that. Jesus is not a fisher person. And Jesus makes this suggestion to the fisherman Hey, Peter, throw your net out in deep water. And Peter does what we do in the church. He hands Jesus his analysis Lord, we fished all night, we were fishing deep. We know what we're doing. There were no fish out there. Now, in today's culture, we would worry that Jesus was not being empathetic to Simon Peter. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. But Jesus cast a bold vision and said, Peter, go deep. Throw the net out there. One of the nudges we have to deeper water may be our disappointment. Disappointment as a nudge to deeper water and going deeper. Lord, we worked hard. We didn't catch anything. Or as I've heard it expressed in the church, I've been faithful for all these years and what difference has it made? Do you ever feel that way? That your religion is a load and a lift? We start out our Christian life with high hopes and great expectations. We believe in a God who can do anything but fail. And then the illness strikes or divorce happens and death comes, jobs disappear, and God doesn't seem so mighty all of a sudden. And today we're torn between the desire to quit and the courage to carry on, or we've given ourselves to church service and invested ourselves in church systems and we've endured our blows from church politics and it's all taken a toll. We've hurt so much that we become uncaring, unconcerned, unexcited, unmoved, and untouched. Today we feel like apathetic owls. We simply don't give a hoot. Somebody needs to tell us to do something different, to change, to go deeper. Are you discouraged? Are you disappointed? Throw the net out deeper. Get out on the edge of that limb and have a little faith. Yeah, I know you hear the limb cracking. I know it sounds scary out there and there's a lot of bumping and bouncing when you get away from the trunk of the tree, but step out there. John Ortberg talks about a church member named Ralph. Ralph's native tongue was complaint. Even in a sea of happiness, Ralph could find the silver lining of unpleasantness. He had a gift. He felt it was his calling. He could see the bad side of everything. And his main complaint was that the music was too loud. He would go up to visitors, people he had never met, and he'd see them after the church service, and he would say, don't you agree the music is too loud? By the way, my name's Ralph. John Ortberg said that he got a call one day from OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, talking about the sounds of decibels at an airport and music concerts and that they needed to investigate a complaint from the church. Ortberg said, I knew it was Ralph. The problem was nobody at the church believed Ralph could change, so he didn't change. Someone should have called him into a deeper life of discipleship so that his mind could be on higher things. Instead, they just let him be disappointed and disillusioned. Ralph needed to be pushed out deep and let his net out deep for a better catch. Another nudge to deeper water is desire. There's a spiritual hunger in America that's taking place. Oh, we're, we're not a religious people anymore, but boy, we are spiritual. We'll worship almost anything on a website. Wild animal, crystals, whatever, we'll adopt it. Well, what I want to know is do we believe the words of Jesus when he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you have in your soul a deep desire to know God? Do you want the Holy Spirit to so fill you that the process of sanctification becomes something you just can't wait to experience every morning? Do you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life completely and totally? Do you want to walk with God? Well, we've got spirit. We've got small groups around this place. You can find one. We've got prayer groups around here, and you can find one. We're going to let you know during Lent how you can find one, and we're going to do things during Lent to deepen your discipleship to deepen your discipleship what did I say that you needed you needed to get disappointed with some of the things going on in your life and you need to develop a holy desire for God you're going to start seeing this this is just the cover of what you're going to start seeing some of you Methodists might recognize it it's the old time and talent survey it's where you volunteer for things in the church Oh, I knew he was going to get... How can you go deeper with being an usher? You can get close to Jesus being an usher in the Methodist church. But what we're going to do, the very first thing we're going to do is we're going to ask you to take a spiritual gifts inventory. We want to know what your spiritual gifts are. And then we're going to give you a way to match your spiritual gifts with volunteer opportunities in the life of the church. Man, wouldn't it be neat to serve out of your spiritual strengths? Wouldn't it be great if you had the gift of teaching that the spiritual gifts inventory affirmed you had the gift of teaching and you said to the church, I want to be a teacher. Seventh grade boys don't have a teacher. I want to be a teacher. Can you imagine? So we began as a church during the, the time of Lent. This journey into deeper water, this journey into moving our faith deeper in Jesus Christ. So, Jesus, as a leader, has said, I'm going where the people are going. He's gotten out of the synagogue. He's gone to the lake shore. He's engaged himself in their lives. He's called them and us to go deeper. Go deeper. But I'm comfortable right here, Lord. I'm comfortable. John Wesley said, our societies were formed from those who were wandering upon dark mountains that belonged to no Christian church, but were awakened by the preaching of the Methodist." the Methodists who have pursued them through the wilderness of the world to the highways and the hedges, to the markets and the fairs, to the hills and the dales, who set up the standard of the cross in the streets and lanes, in the cities and villages, in the barns, in the farmer's kitchen. All of this done in such a way and to such an extent as has never been done before or since the apostolic age. And Wesley was right. The Wesleyan revival is still going on 300 years later. John Wesley said, I love a commodious room. Commodious, I love that word. I love a commodious room, said Wesley, a soft cushion and a handsome pulpit, but field preaching saves souls. In other words, it's not what goes on in here that saves souls, it's what goes out in the world. It's what you do out in the world. It's what I do out in the world. The third thing you can say that Jesus did is he moved us from career to calling. These were fishermen. Can you imagine? Have you ever been around a fisherman who's been out on the water, gotten the boat in the water, gotten the ice chest in the boat, got all the fishing equipment in the boat? They've been fishing all day. They've run out of bait. They've run out of adult beverages and they ain't caught a thing. And Jesus comes to the fisherman and says, Throw it out in deep water. The Greek could not record what Simon Peter really said to Jesus because he told him, Buzz off, Lord. We know what we're doing. They have this miraculous catch. They fall on their knees before who is obviously the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Jesus says, I want to grow your career to a calling. I want you to do the things you do to make a living, to change lives for my kingdom. He didn't tell the fishermen they were going to be trumpet players, He didn't tell them they had to become preachers or rabbis. He said, You just keep fishing. But we're going to change what we use for bait and we're going to change the target of our fishing. We're going to fish for people. So Jesus moves from the synagogue to the lake shore. Jesus calls us to go deeper and Jesus has us move from career to calling. The Great Commission says, as you're going, make disciples. Too many preachers have have treated that first word as an imperative go it's not it's an aorist participle as you are going as you are living your life as you're shopping in super one as you're working in industry as you're a student as you're a kid growing up as you're a parent raising children as you're living your life make disciples of jesus christ for the transformation of the world how do you do that you got to go deeper You've got to have that faith and that assurance and that knowledge that God loves you and that you're important to Him. You've got to have that confidence that Jesus is with you. And you just got to do it. Howard Hendricks, who's an author and an educator, was on a plane one day He was in a flight leaving Atlanta, plane filled up, door closed, pushed the plane back, and there it set, backwards, stuck on the tarmac, not the taxiway, the tarmac, because all the traffic on the ground in Atlanta and the people did what people do. They started getting grumpy and agitated and impatient and rude and loud. Hendrik says there was a flight attendant working the back of the plane and she just had the sweetest spirit. She was smiling at passengers. She was listening to their complaints. She was trying to get information about connections for them. She was trying to calm them down by loving them and serving them. smiling and she did a great job and even after they took off with her service of the snacks and the beverage she still had this radiant smile and and she just was exuding love and grace and hope and life she got to Howard Hendricks seat and he thanked her, Then he said, I would like to write a letter to the airline complimenting your service and what you've done on this flight. And she said, well, I thank you for that, but I don't work for the airline. I work for Jesus Christ. This morning, my husband and I were praying And we prayed that God would use me this day on this flight for His glory. That's moving from career to calling. That's doing everything you do to the glory of God. That's doing everything you do for Jesus Christ. That's doing everything you do in the hopes that you are planting the seeds that will lead a person to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Have you caught it? Jesus' leadership was such that he put it all back on us and he said, Follow me. Don't lead, don't go to a workshop. Don't measure effectiveness. Follow me. What would happen to our great church if we all gave ourselves wholly and completely to the task of following Jesus Christ? Would you stand and pray with me? Oh Lord, You are our hope and vision. And we pray that we have the strength and the faith and the hope to follow you wherever you lead us. Bless us in that task. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.